0: Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions, and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. <laughs> Hello, my guest today is a singer, voice teacher and founder of her private studio Provox in Liverpool and senior popular vocals lecturer at Leeds Conservatoire. She is a singing specialist volunteer at the Royal Liverpool and Broadgreen Hospital Voice Clinic, researcher and PhD student at the School of Music, University of Leeds, where she is specialising in singers' experiences of working with in-ear technology. Carrie Birmingham, what a pleasure it is to welcome you to the Singing Teachers Talk podcast. It sounds very busy for you at the moment, how is everything going?
1: Hello Alexa, yes, Um, no thank you very much for having me Um, and yes it is, it's always busy, it's always busy but they say it's good to be busy don't they so I'll hold on to that one. (laughs) Yeah absolutely,
0: as I mentioned there you're specialising in singers experiences working with in-ear technology so can you explain a little bit about why this was an area of interest for you and where your research is leading?
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Um, So, yes, with the in-ear technology, uh, initially I was sort of primarily uh, looking into earplugs and hearing protection. And of course, that's slightly broadened now also to include uh, things like in-ear monitoring. Um, And yes, that is partly because most of the performers that I've been working with across sort of especially the past sort of eight years in teaching, I work with a lot of live performers who are perhaps fronting rock bands or working in quite big ensemble settings. So um, my sort of query with them has always been: Are you using hearing protection? You know, you're protecting your hearing in you know a lot of long rehearsals and things like that. And I just started to learn a little bit more about the singers that I was working with as to what their perceptions about hearing protection are. And there's a whole range of responses, uh, but it's sort of triggered back to me sort of being worried, really, that a lot of people are firstly not aware that they're actually in dangerous uh, settings of exposure, Or uh, just very dismissive about it of, you know, sort of, oh, yeah, you know, it's fine. I'm not, you know, I'm not touring. You know, I'm not Adele on the roads doing however many shows in a row. So I think, yeah, it started to raise my awareness that actually singers are not very well informed about hearing protection about what's available to them about where they should be using it Um, and of course that can be quite concerning especially when we're working with you know sort of under 25s because that is when they are still growing you know things are still growing and developing and finishing off and quite often They're not even going to be at the peak of their career at that age. And it is concerning that many of them are definitely impacting their hearing in negatively, well, in a negative way, if you like, ahead of actually potentially their successful career is what we hope for them. Mm. Um, And yeah, I guess my passion for that has sort of come from my own hearing impairments, um, which uh, were first picked up on when I first started primary school and my hearing uh, has just been sort of up and down across life. I've had probably about 12 different operations across both years. I've been on no hearing aids, to two hearing aids, to one hearing aid, back to two hearing aids, currently back down to one hearing aid again at the minute. Um, but I've been very interested just in how I might have particular habits as a singer, and whether that is because Because of some of my hearing losses and uh, unfortunately I've just never been able to find anyone out there who can help me with that. Um, I've explored a lot of experts in the voice world uh, you know across uh, international sort of options as well if you like and nobody's ever really been able to give me any answers. ENT doctors haven't been able to give me answers, audiologists haven't really understood how a singer, you know, may be impacted by certain types of hearing loss. So, um, yeah, one of my mentors a few years ago, probably about five or six years ago, said, well, perhaps I need to be the one to go and find out, really, because uh, it's I guess you're not really thinking about it if you don't have hearing loss. Um, But I found it quite interesting when I'm first uh, talking to a lot of singers that I work with, that some of the perceptions and concerns that they have regarding, say, technology or hearing protection that they're working with, I could share some of those responses and experiences as someone who's hearing impaired. So it made me realise that perhaps, you know, it's not that I'm worse off in any explicit way due to varying factors of my sort of hearing precision, but actually when we all are impacted by something, which in my sense, occlusion is something that I'm very interested in, which is basically just blocking the ear canal, you know, with whatever item it may be. Um, And yeah, they seem to share many, obviously, implications as to perhaps those who are hearing impaired, So uh, that sort of sent me down on this kind of journey, if that answers the question. So how
0: should we be looking after our ears? How can we tell if we're in certain environments or situations that are potentially damaging? And how can we help our singers to protect themselves?
1: So it's about yeah sort of the awareness um, uh, in different scenarios exactly like you say Um, I mean from my own personal point of view actually right here with me um, I have got um, my Soundbrenner music watch which has got a decibels meter on it um, and I have that on all day long and I have to say even just as a teacher away from any kind of gig situation my decibel meter um is going off um at least three to six times a day which means that as a teacher in acoustic spaces that i am teaching and this is triggered to go off when i have exceeded more than 15 minutes of 85 decibels exposure Um, and yes i think the fact that that is going off several times a day, just the teacher working with people often quieter environments uh, that's really important to have an awareness of uh, as a teacher and a coach uh, as well as just the performer Uh, but yeah that is certainly one thing that we need to learn more about and we need to be aware of what our exposure levels actually are and that is getting harder and harder now because the world is just so loud Um, you know restaurants are ridiculously loud you know you would think that your hearing should be quite safe in a restaurant environment but actually In many situations, if you measured the decibels, you know, you can get these apps on your phone and things like that. And they're not 100% accurate, but they're going to give you a rough idea. And, you know, most people would find that even just, you know, walking down a busy city centre road with the traffic and the background noise, we're all actually being exposed to extremely high levels of noise. Um, Of course, it's happening in pubs and clubs and concerts. And um, it's, you know, it's also happening, as we say, in our teaching environment. So even the exposure that of the singer's own voice, especially if we are in an environment of teaching or rehearsal rooms where it's these teeny tiny little practice rooms where you've just sort of got enough space for you, the singer and the um, piano. I mean, the decibels and the acoustic shock exposure that we are actually having in those rooms. Or most likely if you're in there, you know, for more than four hours, you are exposing yourself to dangerous levels. So it's just sort of trying to perhaps those people who are concerned or want to learn more about it, getting some kind of decibel monitor, really. And actually, you know, maybe just a week in your life or even a day in your life, just actually monitoring it and thinking, right, actually, how often am I exposing myself to more than 15 minutes of 85 decibels? And of course, you know, we can get away with it every now and again. Um, you know, if it was just happening, you know, once every six to eight weeks, it's not necessarily going to cause us, say, permanent damage, but it is exposing us. However, if you find that you're in a daily or weekly scenario where you are exceeding the decibels, the chances are that you are actually causing permanent damage to your hearing and generally you will not see the effects of that loss for you know seven years upwards so it's all very well to sort of be like okay yeah I feel fine now oh gosh yeah that felt quite loud you know in that environment yesterday but um, obviously I'm young or whatever and you know I'm not going to be exposed we've got to kind of try and change that Um, and there's a lot of artists who come out about that in recent years, there's people like Plan B and Chris Martin, who have got like severe uh, tinnitus now um, to the point of where some people cannot perform anymore when their tinnitus gets so severe. And they admit that it's because they weren't guided on using hearing protection. They didn't see why they needed it. They weren't wear- aware of how dangerous the exposure levels were. And they are paying for it now. You know, what could arguably be at some of the most peak you know, years of their career. So these are sort of the important reasons as to why we've got to do it. Um, but it's also just about being aware of the exposure levels. Of course, then when we know if we have got a lot of exposure levels that we should be dealing with, that is when first and foremost earplugs should be, uh, you know, the first go to. Mm. And there's so many different types of earplugs on the market these days, and we are all very unique, we're all very individual. Some people will be able to get away with these kind of like foam ones, or the titanium ones, or the filtered ones. Mm -hmm. Some people will find those very difficult to work with, and then maybe... Sort of needing a requirement of a personalised mould fitting, um, which, of course, it all does come down to expense, these kind of things. But there is a wonderful campaign with Help Musicians UK for anyone that can prove that they're either a music uh, student or somebody who is making regular income from music and you can actually get some of the custom molds made for only uh, 40 pounds which is extremely cheap so I would urge all uh, sort of musicians as well as singers but definitely singers because they seem to be less informed about the use of hearing protection Mm -hmm. to uh, seek that uh, you know and absolutely get some molds made at a much cheaper price. Um, Over at the conservatory I teach at Leeds, all of the freshers are given uh, some read audio uh, earplugs at the start of freshers. Um, but we do see quite a common uh, trend certainly with the singers that I've worked with who are just choosing not to use earplugs so although you know they're available and you know we are encouraging uh, students you know many vocal teachers out there will already be encouraging their students to work with this technology it's about getting to the nitty-gritty as to why most singers are actually opting to never work with these devices Mm. which is of course a whole other issue that needs addressing Mm, mm.
0: and when you're talking about earplugs can are they available in the like the local pharmacy Uh, is it a case of getting them off the shelf or as you i know you've mentioned about the molds but are there particular ones or brands that you would recommend
1: not necessarily, no. I mean, I have not had any direct input with any kind of company or brand or design. And um, all the research that I've done so far in terms of literature and um, an interview study that I have completed myself and also some uh, pilot experimental studies using different types of earplugs has shown that it's very much um, diverse uh, depending on the genre that the singer is singing in, depending on whether the singer is somebody who's singing in more of a legit classical style or much more speech quality or belt. All of these different things are going to impact the singer. And The other thing to remember with hearing is that hearing is a psychoacoustic response uh, and we do not hear the same way. You know, some of us find that something loud is almost painful to us, whereas what that person's experience of loud is to another person who's used to being in loud environments, that won't seem like any kind of loud exposure at all. Um, And the same with sort of like even high frequencies, some people could perhaps, you know, find some high frequencies almost quite wincing and Mm. uncomfortable to listen to. Whereas other people, it doesn't bother them at all. And this can all be due to the exposure that we have of sound from a very young age, you know, right down to our early years. Mm. Um, We see it, you know, even in our voice quality of singers, generally uh, loud belty singers who are quite free and comfortable with that usually come from loud families where they're used to having to shout over each other whereas quite often we'll find that shyer more timidly spoken people um you often see that reflection within their personality and their characteristics as a singer and although it's much harder to assess and analyze and notice the same kind of variables are happening with our hearing exposure and that's another thing you know people who are used to loud exposure are going to find it much harder to notice when they're being exposed to dangerous levels whereas some people who don't like that, you know, louder exposure. They may, you know, choose to wear earplugs even in situations that they don't necessarily need to, just because of how they feel about the sounds around them. Mm. So it is about experimentation and exploration for the singer. Really, um, it's depending on the type of venues that they're performing in, the kind of acoustic spaces that they're rehearsing in, what kind of accompaniment are they working with? You know, somebody who's uh, sort of a solo performer with a pianist is going to be in a very different scenario to somebody who's regularly performing as part of a metal band Um, you know there's a very big contrast and it it really is about the singer understanding their personal situation Uh, but as we say not just as the performer you know musicians as well although musicians seem to be a little bit more savvy about hearing protection and certainly drummers and you know there are a lot of guitarists who even would prefer not to be wearing anything in their ears because they don't hear the high frequencies of their solo, especially if they're a lead soloist on guitar. And uh, that is to do with the occlusion effect of these devices that immediately takes away our high-frequency precision Um, And another thing that we don't consider often is that um, in a recent interview study that I've done as part of my postgraduate research, uh, one of the most dominant themes that came up is actually the inability to communicate with others in the performance space and to have a communication with the audience. And there are many performers who have highlighted that yes, they experience tinnitus afterwards. Yes, they are aware that they are exposing their hearing to dangerous levels, but they do not feel that they can do their job as a performer unless they risk that because they just. Feel like uh, I know quoting one person I sort of interviewed recently they feel like they are in a dream sequence when they are mm-hmm. working with any kind of linear devices they just feel like they're not really there and that completely detaches them from the performance or any kind of connection with the audience or the musicians so there's a lot from a psychological point of view going on when we are sort of exploring this and it takes time and um, which is why the younger we sort of work with this and experiment with this the more prepared we are going to be you know when we are in situations where hopefully people are having really fruitful you know uh, performance careers where they are going to be playing huge venues where they need to be using these devices but they will be better prepared for it and then not have a bad performance experience and um, there's many people who have um, I've been involved in my interview study who have specified that they have had negative experiences they've heard recordings back of themselves or they've had someone telling them that they're singing really flat obviously you know as singers we know we have enough anxieties and worries going on anyway and it's like we don't need that to be another one in the moment on stage or even in rehearsals when we are you know perhaps at some of the stronger parts of our performance careers Mm. so there's just so much to consider really. Hmm. And what are the differences then
0: between having like an ear plug versus an in-ear monitor?
1: So with the ear plug we are completely uh, blocking the ear canal which means that we are obstructing air conduction um, and the way that we are hearing is via a balance of bone conduction and air conduction and that is the exact reason that as humans we do not hear ourselves the way that we actually are so as we know anyone who's heard their voice recorded back What we hear on the recording is what the entire world are hearing. That is who we are, that is what our voice does. Whereas the voice that we're hearing internally is primarily dominated by bone conduction. And uh, you know that can be challenging enough for some people to deal with anyway, understanding the difference of how they are on a recording to what they think they sound like in their own heads. And as singers that can cause us all kinds of weird habits and strange things going on with tongue retention and placement of resonance and things. But then if you imagine adding into that occlusion which would be through the air uh, air canal being blocked by uh, earplugs. We are then enhancing the bone conduction even more so and impacting obviously the balance of what we hear internally of the high frequencies and um, so that is what is happening there but we have to do that through um, attenuation which is the different decibels of uh, attenuation uh, which will basically uh give us the safety the protection that we need at the air canal. With in-ear monitors, it's much more complicated because the idea of in-ear monitors is that we're bringing it directly to the ears instead of having to work with floor monitoring or stage monitoring, depending, again, obviously on a whole variety of different genres and different performance setups and things like that. Um, But the idea with the in-ear monitor is that one, it's doing the same job as the earplug by occluding the ear canal to reduce uh, some of that attenuation that we might be receiving from whatever the external sound is. But then the idea is then that we're also being delivered a mix in the same way that we perhaps would through a floor monitor. Um, but again, uh, a lot of my interview studies into this area have brought um, a whole diverse range of issues if you like and that is to do with who is actually mixing the in-ear monitors um you know whether the singer has the ability and the technology and the equipment to be able to self-mix or whether they are completely relying on on the external mixing that for them which could be quite variable across um particularly with function performers or cabaret performers you know they're working through a whole range of different genres and different um styles of singing and you know that's going to be much more complex to be mixed live in the moment across a performance scenario but the other consideration um that even I hadn't thought of that was brought up by some of the um pro- professional performers that I interviewed is that they are actually uh, unaware of the safety levels of that mix and um, and some people did actually uh, sort of respond stating that they do still uh, suffer from tinnitus after working with any monitors which would imply that yes okay maybe they're happy and they they can hear themselves well because they've got a great mix are they actually then still ticking the box of hearing safety? Because yes, they're plugged, but actually the mix they're sending to themselves directly into the middle ear may not be safe uh, depending on how they are having the mix there's definitely reports of people experiencing feedback and you know we all know that feedback is not a nice hearing thing to experience but directly through the in-ear monitor you know that's even more triggering and even more uncomfortable to deal with so these are all very complicated things and again there's so many different brands there's there's some very high-end professional performers that I I've worked with in the interviews, who have said that they spent you know around ten thousand pounds on in-ear monitoring and they're still not happy, and they honestly are starting to get to the point where they think it's not about the brand, it's not about the model, it's not even about the mould, and um, it is about that mix. You know, it's about having the right mix and understanding how the mix works, and having somebody who can live mix that for you in the moment to make sure that you are feeling safe basically nice. so yes extremely complicated and most people uh, that i've worked with so far have uh, sort of said that you have to persevere on with it for most people it's going to be at least six months of weekly exploration of getting used to it of learning how to trust it but at the same time where my sort of research is taking me is that um I don't believe we are where we need to be for singers yet. There is more going on for singers compared to just the average musician. We've got the consideration of even jaw movement, which is impacting the position of earplugs or in-ear monitors. So yes, I guess in answer to your question, no, there isn't one specific brand or specific route I would advise a singer to go down other than exploring what you can with the budget that you have maybe speaking to other people that you know who are already actively working with a uh, sort of technology and thinking are you a similar voice type to them are you a similar genre to them are you working in a similar kind of acoustic space in your rehearsals or your performance venues and it's going to be almost by singers sharing experiences um, both negative and positive to help us feed into the research world of how to better guide and educate uh, singers around all of these factors that are going to impact you know their ability to perform and protect their ears really
0: Mm -hmm. and you've mentioned their tinnitus um what are the symptoms of that how can we identify if we've already maybe had a little bit of damage what can we be looking out
1: for So, of course, there is the tinnitus, which is the the stereotypical ringing in the ears, which I think uh, sort of probably most people around the age 18 and upwards will be able to sort of isolate that they have experienced that at some point in their life, um, which isn't great, really. I mean, um, tinnitus does indicate that there is permanent uh, damage. Um, now there, there are, um, and I've only learned this by being based in clinic actually with a lot of my rehab work, um, but there, there are sort of two different forms of tinnitus. And there is almost what you might describe as like a mechanical tinnitus, where it is actually that something mechanically is damaged in the cochlea, which causes the tinnitus. Um, one way that it was described to me um, a few years back by the very wonderful David Howard, who uh, is involved in the psychoacoustics world with another fantastic researcher, Ian Howell, um, is that basically the tinnitus, uh, we hear it at a very specific frequency. And what it would imply is that that frequency that we hear is the tinnitus is where the damage has been done. And the reason we get the tinnitus is because the, the, the little hairs that are picking up that frequency inside the cochlea are actually damaged um, and that tinnitus is a sign that we have got damaged hairs basically at that frequency. Um, and yes, it can obviously it impacts people in different ways. I personally experience tinnitus every single day, um, but my tinnitus um, rarely lasts for more than a minute. So even if it happens several times a day, it can sometimes just happen for 15 seconds and then it just cuts out or it might happen uh, for about a minute. Um, I actually started along with mine and for some reason whenever I sort of try and go kind of along with it it seems to stop straight away and I don't know if that's just some kind of weird psychological thing Um, but uh, yes feel free to experiment with that anyone else who experiences tinnitus uh, but there is also psychological tinnitus where the the um, where that's often where people are really struggling with it. And it's, it can stop people like sleeping and things like that. It can cause insomnia. And there are even apps now that I know ENT doctors will recommend to um, to humans. This is not necessarily musicians or singers as such, just any humans. And um, they do believe that a lot of that can even be connected to some kind of trauma Um, or something that has happened in someone's life so it is important to understand whether it is a mechanical tinnitus or whether it might be something a little bit more sort of psychologically embedded which um, they seem to still be really trying to learn more about Um, and I did see um, a conference uh, last year um, that also identified that potentially um, the jaw position or things to do with the TMJ could actually have some kind of connection of uh, where tinnitus is happening but that seems to be extremely new research but again I do think it's important that from the hearing point of view that we are considering um, our jaw habits in connection to how that impacts the ear canal and of course then if we're working with something at the ear canal just how all of that feeds into each other and these are all areas that are very very um sort of sparsely researched into if you like there's quite a bit of earplug research and responses from musicians mm-hmm. and a lot of that has more been done in the classical and orchestral world compared to contemporary but then um, we have also of course uh, got to Be considering uh, just speech, which is where a lot of my research has gone into with the spoken voice and just different designs that have been being uh, sort of explored with hearing aids and things like that, because that's where we're going to notice potential impacts and connections to using the voice, of course, in a more melodic way. And that's to do with how we internally change um, some of the formants without getting too sort of complicated. A lot of literature researchers uh, identified that the first formant um, is very um, explicitly impacted in speech when we are occluding uh, the ear canal and that's whether that's through a hearing device such as a hearing aid or earplugs themselves. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, there's kind of a lot of answers that um, need to be found basically mm-hmm. regarding hearing protection and voice users, but musicians also.
0: Mm. Mm. And so then when you're mentioning uh, plug plugging the ears and how that kind of changes our perception of what's going on, what might we find is a result of that? Are we going to be pushing more? Do you find or do do you have any feedback from students of it being a bit more effortful to sing whilst plugged?
1: Yeah, so again, this is uh, sort of a little bit variable. So um, in the um, interview study that I completed uh, very recently, that was just been sort of finalized in the writing of you like literally just a couple of months ago um but yes they were largely professional and semi-professional um performers and people involved in a lot of touring shows and that's across metal bands rock bands cruise performers musical theater performers and then there were some other um interviewees who were sort of um early into sort of the gigging world of original music and things like that, who are perhaps more sort of amateur towards the semi-professional direction. Um, But although they're all coming from very different genres, very different backgrounds, a lot of the responses really were very similar. And So the thing um, that people are obviously describing is kind of this perception of one's own voice as being very muddy or dark or boomy or flat and it seems to be all of that darkness um, that is noticeable to the, the performer and that kind of makes sense because as we said, as soon as we include the ear canal, we are not receiving those um, uh, high frequencies from the air conduction. And it causes our body to sort of internalize the bone conduction, which is the basier, lower frequencies. And that's partly why we sound much warmer to ourselves naturally, and that's without occlusion, just because of how we hear ourselves internally. But the question is, is how are you responding to that? And most of the singers are aware that because they are hearing that, um, they are then trying to adjust their voice t- to make themselves be able to hear what they would normally hear. And this is where we can have issues with singers sort of not, not responding to occlusion and perhaps their voice will be described as flat in timbre,
0: hmm. or the
1: other way, where a singer's trying to fight against that change. And then perhaps externally, we might hear them coming across much more sharply. And that's because they're trying to bring in those higher frequencies that they're used to hearing on their own voice. And because, of course, it's even worse, you know, with the occlusion there, as we said. So that's definitely something to um, have a think about. Um, In some of my early pilot studies, my sort of interest was in effort levels and uh, pitch perception. And I think what I very quickly found, although my study is going to go on to a much bigger um, practical experiment study going forward after the summer now for the next few years, Um, But what my initial pilot studies um, have shown is that actually pitch wasn't the problem, you know, and that's quite a big thing in singing anyway, quite often, um, you know, we'll be like, oh, that person's singing out of tune, but actually if we get, you know, into acoustic science, Very rarely is the singer ever singing out of tune if we look at the fundamental frequency, the the FO as it's written in acoustic science. And, you know, usually the pitch there is quite um, strong because when we're analysing pitch, we have to have a hundred cents change in the hertz before it actually becomes even a semitone difference. Mm. So usually what we're hearing is an obstruction to the pitch accuracy, if you like, is actually just timbre changes. And of course, timbre is linked to resonance, which is linked to the formants. And of course, that placement that we talk about as teachers and how we are hearing our own voice. Quite often, when singers are struggling with getting the resonance that they want on certain parts of their range, it can often be because they're listening to themselves too much, you know, and there's different ways, obviously, in training that we approach that depending on the individual. Well, that is something to consider um, because, uh, yeah, interestingly, going the other way, I've actually found that getting some singers who are struggling with resonance to just wear some of those really rubbish, standard, very cheap foam, uh, you know, earplugs, actually can make them do something very different you know in the training so again this is about how it's never going to be one right or wrong way as in singing training as teachers we know that you might be able to get someone to explore xyz by doing this but then you might try xyz with another student to try and achieve the same thing and xyz doesn't work because we're all so unique and individual and that's what we've got to keep remembering although we would say that in many cases, the responses that I've had um, regarding earplugs and occlusion is that singers are feeling negative responses. They feel they can't trust their pitch. They feel that they're not singing in their nice resonances that they want for other people. It could actually help them if they struggle to obtain some of that um, initially. Uh, But yes, then looking at it from an intensity point of view, which would be our effort, in most cases from the practical studies I've done so far, most people do seem to exert more effort when they're occluding the air canal. Mm -hmm. However, there were a couple of people who um, I've worked with and I've done statistic analysis of one individual that I'm thinking of who definitely is a hard-working belter. And this person actually in every test that we did with belt quality ridiculously um, reduced uh, their effort because wow. they were shocked at how big it was for them. But that actually worked nicely because this is somebody who was working too hard on their belt. And just by them exploring the earplugs because that they didn't like that response of how big it was to them internally, it made them just chill out. And there was nothing wrong with the voice quality produced. If anything, you could say that there was sort of less push in the quality of sound, which gave them a more sort of natural sort of free flowing kind of timbre. It didn't make it sound like they was working as hard for it. And so for them, it was actually a positive thing. Mm. So, So we're all very different. Um, but in many cases, it does seem to be that there's a higher percent, percentage of vocalists trying to work against the occlusion impact and they are pushing. Mm. So, again, it's just this these variables. It is an experiment, you know, that we need to understand how we are hearing or perhaps how our students are hearing in some situations and just getting them to explore, you know, one earplug, two earplugs in you know, training sessions or rehearsal sessions, even if we're not necessarily doing it in that environment because hearing protection is needed, but just getting the singer to understand how they respond to that is going to help them have better control when they do need to use, you know, devices because they are in a scenario that could be harming their hearing. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And can you tell us, um, I'm just very interested now to know, you're the old Mariah Carey, popping a finger in her ear to kind of reach those high, high notes. What is that? What is, what is that helping her do? Is it? Is it? Is it helping her find anything? Do you think?
1: Well, everyone hears differently. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the thing, um, and. Uh, yes, obviously that has been a common thing. So usually that is to do with a lack of monitoring. And this came up quite a lot with um, some of the um, pr- performers that I interviewed across the past sort of 18 months. Um, and obviously we see it all the time where um, performers are, in fact, I the other day, I just caught a little bit of the end of the Isle of Wight Festival that was just on TV. And I saw Sigrid performing and you could hear that her timbre of her vocal was starting to go and let's say a little bit flat and immediately she picked up on this and she pulled uh, one of her in ears loosely out it was still in but it was loosely out and this is something that has come up because um, in an environment where the monitoring isn't very good it actually does seem to be useful to the singer to block one ear for a moment them hearing their own voice but obviously this is going to be slightly different because they've still got one ear exposed to natural sound if you like so it does seem to be uh, something to do with singers being able to hear themselves better but what we've got to understand from a concert point of view is that as soon as the performer Taking the earplug out or taking an ear, an in ear out, or just loose that in ear, then obviously hearing protection is immediately diminished and we are not protecting the ears anymore. And uh, I'd say this is, uh, there's so many performers that I've worked with who said this, there's so many of them that said that uh, they would only use in ear monitoring. or when they're doing backing vocals work. There's people who disagreed with that and felt that, oh, no, actually, I would want to have one in-ear in for lead vocals, but I would only use earplugs for backing vocals. So, again, this is about how the singer is hearing themselves in their environment. And there will be many common trends between how we are all listening and interpreting sounds, but there will be some of us who are just unique and hearing things and doing things in a slightly different way and it's just about us figuring out what works best for us in our scenario which is only going to come from exploration and experimentation and just noticing right well when I wear two earplugs what is happening with my voice there was one person and um, that I interviewed with a um Uh, who who is more of a younger performer, late 20s, and and she performs in a sort of alt-rock band. And she identified um, that she noticed on some early recordings when she was initially just working with earplugs that she actually noticed that she was starting to sing in a very dopey darker uh, kind of space in terms of voice quality and she actually identified that from a technique point of view she said that she didn't realize that when she was doing initial gigs in some of these newer bigger environments that she was just singing in a really low larynx and she thinks that that was happening because of losing that high frequency she's kind of internally tuning herself and the earplugs made that happen However, when she was able to make the change over to custom moulds with in-ear monitoring that she has the ability to self-mix, she felt that all of those problems have gone away. Uh, So obviously that's a successful situation for her. But then we do have the question of actually, although you feel protected, you're happy with your in-ear mix, is your in-ear mix safe? I'd like to hope that, you know, the top, top, top artists out there have probably got some kind of limiter to their mix that prevents them from taking it so far. Um, but possibly some of the you know, cheaper brands um, are, or depending on the technology you're using may not offer that really. So mm. it's, it's difficult to know without really exploring all of that further. Mm. So what would you like to see
0: happen? What would you like from coaches?
1: So I think we need a greater awareness as teachers if we are working with anybody that is you know out there gigging um we we need them to be more aware of how they are exposing themselves now we can assume immediately that if they're working with a drummer then straight away the chances are that they are always doing a gig that is putting them at high exposure levels so that means that if they are gigging for more than 15 minutes there is a very strong chance that at every gig that's more than 15 minutes they are causing uh, dangerous exposures to their hearing and the more often that happens the more repetitive that is the more dangerous it is and the more likely it is to cause them long-term damage and so I would say that we should just experimenting you know confuse our string uh, our singers and you know really keep giving them this empowerment to self-record and listen back we need to try and get out of our heads yes we need to listen hearing is so important but we need to understand how we personally listen And, you know, that is largely going to happen through experimentation. It might be that we work with some singers and we get them to put some earplugs in and it doesn't faze them in the slightest because they are more about how the body feels in the singing moment. And when we've got that muscle memory, they may not respond to it. But some people are going to be so much more sensitively uh, responsive to changes in sound and we we may even notice this you know just in the studio from where we've been working with a singer on say a breakdown of a song with piano and they're okay and then some people can get really put off when you just go over to an instrumental track you know or vice versa so it's really about experimentation I would be urging us to urge our singers to monitor their exposure levels I mean, I personally would very rarely not um, even be wearing earplugs quite often in restaurant scenarios myself these days. And certainly if I go and watch any live music, I've always got earplugs in and you you can get these filter earplugs now that are um, basically uh, sort of varying the balance. There's many different ones out there, but it's about finding the right pair for you. And you can get the filter ones where, yes, you'll still feel some of those occlusion effects, but it's not quite as bad. Mm. Um, But this is kind of what everyone needs to be working on. Um, And of course, my research going forward now is to try to isolate and identify whether we can prove that singers are actually negatively uh affecting the vocal output when they're working with these technologies and there are some people who are already very convinced that they definitely are you know having uh resonance issues and issues with effort Uh, but then there are other people who don't really feel that there's that much of a change when they listen to themselves recorded back afterwards, but they really psychologically feel like something horrible is happening in the moment when they're on stage. And no one wants to feel that when they're trying to perform. Nobody wants to be in that situation. But then, of course, for those who have had a negative experience, they're not going to trust putting anything in their ears anymore. And that's also just going to psychologically impact their performance anxieties and their confidence in their own abilities going forward in future gigs. So we know how much the singer is whole body, we really do, and how much the psychology impacts us. And this this is just another element where I feel like, you know, we're getting our singers ready. We're doing all this amazing work with them on their performance skills, on their musicianship, on their vocal technique, on developing their artistry. And then we're sort of sending them out there. And then the seconds they get these huge opportunities and from an insurance point of view, are being forced to work with hearing protection and hearing devices. It's then, you know, giving them something horrible that we maybe haven't prepared them for and they haven't had the experience of so i just think the sooner that we can get them exploring it and you know trying to understand more about it and how the sound we hear is is not accurate the more positive experiences they're going to have but the more they can also experiment with their own personal needs and what their setup is that they prefer
0: mm-hmm. And where would you encourage us to continue reading um, and looking for our own knowledge and education on this?
1: Have you got any resources that you would like to share? Well, again, um, there just really is not much out there at all. With regards, I mean, there's a couple of journal articles that have come out recently. You'll find several articles that are about musicians and earplugs. uh, But actually, um, you will not really find anything um, I'm hoping that I can change that um, Mm -hmm. but everyone's going to have to bear with me because it is still three to five years away we're just about to start beginning the early planning of our experimental work now and then we're hoping to have some very specific answers Um, but uh, yes um, I'm more more than happy a lot of people already do contact um, me about things to do with this and I'm more than happy to talk to anyone about it but otherwise help Musicians UK you've got some really useful things obviously just our local NHS ENT and audiology departments have some fantastic leaflets and things online mm-hmm. um, and uh, there is sort of the he- hearing health UK and and uh, some other foundations like that um, but yeah unfortunately explicit advice to the singer is not yet available and i hope that uh, as we go forward that even the technology and the brand you know the brands out there and the companies are going to start looking at how we can potentially specifically design options with the uh, the consideration of the singer because it is very different to being the drummer or you know playing a tuba um it's it's a very different situation and we are working with language we are working with jaw movement as well as all the other millions of things you know and feeling the pressure of often being the person at the front leading the act Mm. Uh, so yeah hopefully more will be available but right now I would say to stick with a lot of the hearing charities and definitely help musicians UK who are continually uh you know looking at new options for well, not just for singers but for musicians overall and hearing protection, and they offer hearing tests and things like that. Yeah. And audiologists are wonderful, so, if anyone is concerned about their hearing, I would say, you know, especially when you're a musician or a singer you definitely should be getting your ears tested every couple of years. And all you need to do is let your GP know that you are, you know, a full-time music student or a professional performer, and they will get you through to audiology quite quickly for hearing tests. And audiologists are the key to this knowledge. They can tell you exactly what frequency loss has gone, you know, Mm. and and offer you guidance of dealing with that and, and also to do with tinnitus as well.
0: Great. And you're the woman to watch for the research. So where can we keep on top of what you're doing? How can people get in touch with you?
1: Um, so um, always like either as, as a student, the supervision of my uh, students um, my uh, sort of research email address if you like is mccsb at leeds.ac.uk and that's where everything's very researchy and um, but also through my own uh, private studio Provox and um, I've got a general contact form on our website provox.net or anyone who's got contacts to me, of course, over at the conservatoire, which is just um, cbirmingham at lcm.ac.uk. And um, so, yeah, I'm more than happy to be contacted via uh, any means, really. Uh, but what I would say to anyone out there curious is it's very much, um, uh, you know, an adventure, if you like. It's a, a slow adventure, it's a journey, it's going to be quite unique and different for everybody. But this is also just going to feed into having more awareness about hearing as well as the hearing protection as teachers if we can better understand how our students are hearing and what they are listening for we are going to be able to help them just better in their general technique, you know, and their ability as singers, never mind how they would also respond to the use of hearing protection or technology. So it's just about really experimenting with that, you know, do some weird things, you know, get your students to stand in a really big space in the middle of the room, get them to go and stand in the corner of the room, um, you know, get them to wear one earplug, two earplugs, uh, you know, all these different settings that we can manipulate the And you know see if what they're doing with their voice changes you know Mm -hmm. does the resonance gain more clarity and things like that do you find that their effort levels drop because quite often singers are responding to what they're hearing as well as what they're feeling and although as teachers we say don't listen you know just feel it it's like although that is on one hand good advice It's kind of like, how useful is that? We can't tell someone to stop listening when the entire purpose of what we're doing is to be listened to. You know, it's, uh, it's a strange one in that sense.
0: Mm, mm. well I'm going to be adding some earplugs into the bag it'll be a lot pulling out the balls, the therabands, the vibrators the, the <laughs> earplugs, all of the tools, um, I love it uh, thank you so much Carrie, it's been lovely to spend time with you and uh, hear about all your expertise and the research that you're doing so thank you so
1: much yes, no thank you so much for having me and I hope that can be useful to lots of wonderful teachers on their journeys
0: So did that wet your appetite? Want more of where that came from? Then quench your thirst for knowledge by nerding out in our store, where you can purchase a whole host of specialist educational videos for singing teachers, from building your business to fixing vocal faults, or join our membership to get access to them all in your own geeky CPD library. Head over to www.basttraining.com forward slash store to get going. That's www.basttraining.com forward slash store.